to 44. But before we go ahead and read that, they did a research, the University of California in San Diego, and they found that people who are compassionate are those who are plucky. The word plucky simply means high mental resiliency. Or rather, another, another way of describing this term plucky is the one's ability to recover from tragedies such as major illnesses, job loss or death of a spouse. So the, the university concluded that not only does being plucky help you cope with life's challenges, but it also increases your chances of being more compassionate towards others. In their study, the researchers were interested in identifying what characteristics were associated with compassion, which they defined as broader than empathy. While empathy entails understanding another person's suffering, listen to this, compassion encompasses a desire to reduce that person's suffering. So, oftentimes we confuse the word empathy and compassion. And as I said, empathy is understanding another person's suffering. Compassion is the desire to reduce, to do something about their suffering. It's not just feeling bad about it. It's I must and want to do something about it. Compassion requires empathy, but empathy doesn't always lead to compassion. Now, why is that necessary? Why is, is me reading that so vital and important? Because when you think about that, beloved, we know that we have a high priest in the book of Hebrews chapter 4. The Bible says a high priest that can sympathize with us, who has compassion for us. Jesus is a God who has compassion. He has compassion for you and it's not just empathy. He doesn't just feel bad for you. He feels what you feel and he wants to do something about it. And what this passage, what this research revealed to me when they spoke about mental resilience and when they spoke about one's ability to recover from tragedies, I'm reminded about Jesus because we know that Jesus was truly a re resilient leader. And that's why the Bible says he can sympathize with us. Very personal message this morning. If there is a team that I can relate to this year in 2021. If there's a team that resonates in my heart more personal than any other team, it is the team of God's unceasing compassion. And I want to preach to you this morning a sermon I've called Jesus Wept. Because when I consider all through this year, 2020, 2021, COVID-19, all that has transpired, the only saving grace that has held us 
is His compassion for us. The compassion that Jesus expresses this morning embodies the value that He has for you and I. The cross represents the passion driven by compassion. Can I say that again? The cross represents His passion driven by compassion. He died because He had compassion for you and I. We go on outreaches and one of the main uh, 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 statements you will hear us say oftentimes when I give a flyer out, I'll say, Jesus loves you. We would give a flyer and we would say, I just want to let you know Jesus loves you. I just want to let you know Jesus died on the cross for you. And many a times we don't realize, but this is so psychological when you think about it. This is a world that we're living in today that feels unloved. A world that is rejected, a world that has been isolated, a world that has no relationships who they can call as dear or close or, you know, even sacred to them. But Jesus, who you and I know personally, our Lord and Savior, when we make that statement, it's not just a cliche. It's not that Jesus loves you because it sounds good. Can I say to you that love of Jesus entails His compassion and that compassion that fills our heart is what fills the void in all of us. Jesus, if you look at the Word of God, wept on a number of occasions. One, He wept when He saw Lazarus. When He stood before the tomb, the Bible says Jesus wept. When He looked upon Lazarus, He was acquainted not, not with em emotionalism, but rather, beloved, I believe Jesus was a man of sorrow acquainted with grief. In John 11, 33 to 35, listen to the words of Jesus, or rather listen to the words in the book of John. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping, the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled and he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see the shortest yet the most profound passage in all the Bible Jesus wept John eleven thirty five. 35 the shortest two-worded the only passage that carries a two-worded word uh, or rather two, two words Jesus wept in John eleven thirty five. 35 in Luke 19 41 through 44 let's go there in the word of God that's going to be our main text this morning. And as we read that, I want you to ponder Jesus' character. The Bible says, now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it. Saying, if you had known, even you, especially in this, your day, the things that make for your peace, but now know that they are hidden from your eyes, for days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground and they will not leave you, leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. So the tears that Jesus shed 
over Jerusalem was a direct contrast. I want you to observe this in this passage. This is, this is so, con- uh, 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 so counterintuitive. It is so uh, uh, opposite to what you would expect Jesus to do here. Because a few verses ago, do you realize that he entered Jerusalem on a donkey? Triumphal entry. He entered in and what did the people do? They threw palm leaves on the floor. The disciples went and got him a donkey. They brought this donkey to Jesus. And when he sat on it, he rode into Jerusalem on the donkey. People surrounded him and the Bible says they praised him. They lifted their voices. They were chanting shouts of victory. In the midst of all that, there was rejoicing. Great honor was given, recognition. He was surrounded by people who were praising him. They hailed him as King of Israel. But what was so fascinating is if it was a normal king, can you imagine the pride, the joy, the excitement? He would feel, wow, these people love me. He won the popularity contest. Their praises was confirmation of their acceptance. Wow, we love Jesus so much. And in the midst of that, Jesus weeps. I hope you get this this morning. Why? Why would you cry at a time when everybody is praising you? Why would you weep when everyone is shouting and giving you victory, praises and glory? Why would you weep, Jesus? He he looks at all these faces. He looks at the whole city of Jerusalem. They're all happy, outwardly smiling, laughing, cheering. And Jesus weeps. What's going on, Jesus? You see, this response of Jesus begs the question, why? What triggered Jesus to weep over Jerusalem? What triggered Jesus to reap, uh, sorry, to reap, to weep over the people who were present? Why did Jesus weep? Past tense. Why, 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 why he wept? Now I believe, number one, if you look at this passage of scripture, in John, uh, uh, Luke chapter 19, verses 42. And, uh, and I'll, I'll go ahead and I'll tell you that this sermon is, is personal, but at the same time, uh, you have to understand some historical background to get why Jesus was weeping in this passage. And I will relate that to what we are and where we are today. In verses 42, the Bible says, saying, if you had known even now, Even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. I believe Jesus wept because he desired for unending or he desired for peace. 
that he looked upon these people, though he was referring to Jerusalem, I want you to listen very carefully to me. He looked upon Jerusalem. He was looking at the city. He was looking at the people and the peace that rightfully belonged to the city. No doubt, Jerusalem was known as the city of peace. But it was far from having peace. There was no peace at all in Jerusalem. In fact, when you do a quick study, Jerusalem was an extremely blessed city. Its location was good. It was situated on the top of a hill. They had fresh water. Talking about you know, uh, uh, natural resources, talking about water supply, Jerusalem was extremely blessed. But also, considering it from a military point of view, Jerusalem was an extremely powerful city in a sense where they were located. Their location was conducive. They had natural fortresses. But when Jesus looked at them, a city that was supposed to actually have peace is in turmoil and unrest. If you study history, Jerusalem has faced way more than a hundred major conflicts from the time of its inception. There's never been peace. There's always been restlessness. There's always been turmoil. There's always been trouble. There's always been assault. There's always been attack. There's always been things that were just not going the way that Jerusalem was. Instead of being a city of peace, it became a city of weeping. Jeremiah chapter 9 verses 1, Oh, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears, that I may weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. Jeremiah was crying. He was weeping for Jerusalem. People were dying in Jerusalem. People were being killed in Jerusalem. There was restlessness. There was no peace at all. And I believe Jesus wept because he looked upon them and he says, oh, what kind of peace you could have. And I think God looks on us and God says that trouble shouldn't be there. That unrest shouldn't be there. That turmoil shouldn't be there. Those assaults should... How many know, beloved, sometimes we bring problems upon ourselves? They are known as self-inflicted wounds. Decisions we make sometimes. Choices we make. Uh, 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 the options that are laid before us. As I preached on Tuesday, you look at both the trees. One seems good on the outside. The other seems unattractive and unappealing. But we always want to choose what looks good from the outside. And I think sometimes God looks upon us. And only to think only to view the peace that you and I could have and enjoy as Christians. The Bible in the book of Psalms 42 verses 11, Why are you cast down, O my soul? 
and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise Him, the help of my countenance and my God. Peter, the Bible tells us when he stepped out of the boat, he moved towards Jesus. As he was walking, the waves became boisterous and it was tumultuous. And while that was happening, beloved, we know that Jesus turned to Peter and says, Why are you so fearful, O you of little faith? You believe in me. I'm with you. And how many times as Christians, we allow ourselves to be robbed of the peace that God has for us. And I think God looks down and it breaks His heart. I am the Prince of Peace. You should be able to sleep at night. I am the one who gives you sleep. The Bible says in Psalms 27, I give my beloved sleep. Some sleep too much. I think he loves them more. <laughs> I give my beloved sleep. Beloved, I'm, I, I say this to you because in all reality, these were the things we've experienced. His compassion towards us was driven by his desire for peace in our lives. He didn't want us to have those battles mentally. He didn't want us to struggle, you know, doubting and questioning His character. He didn't want us to wonder if God, you would even come true for us. We're human beings. He understands that. That's why I'm saying He's compassionate. He sympathizes with us. But He also understands, I am the Prince of Peace. In Philippians, oh sorry, in, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 7, beloved, the Bible says, The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and mind through Christ Jesus. Do you see that? That's so profound. Peace, peace guards your mind and guards your heart. When you have the peace of God, when the peace of God is present, all that can go on around you could be there. Yes, we go through troubles. Yes, we face conflicting seasons, no doubt. But I declare to you, when the peace of God is present, there is undeniably a peace that surpasses all understanding. Yes, in reality, I know this is going to happen, but my God has given me peace that goes beyond. I understand one plus one equals two. I understand two plus two. I understand if, this, if I didn't do this, this is what's going to happen. But how many know that God is a miracle-working God? It is the choice of saying, I choose to trust in God above all. And I believe, beloved, that this is where we have to establish ourselves. He looked upon Jerusalem and God's great desire for Jerusalem is peace. Can I say, God's great desire for every one of you here is peace? The Bible says, Emmanuel, God with us. Peace on earth, goodwill to men. What is God's purpose? What is God's desire? When God looks about, what does He desire for us? To the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. You know, when we 
battle through those seasons in life, one of the things that we struggled with is the ability to just accept that God was in control of everything that we were facing. That God, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't look like this is going to work out. God, it doesn't seem like this is going to fall in place. It doesn't seem that there is going to be an end to this. Or doesn't seem like there's going to be an answer to what I'm facing. But you know, when I began to realize that my relationship with God needed to be fixed, no doubt we were living for God. I was praying every day. I was seeking God every day. But there were things that I had compromised. There were things that I have refused because of my time. And I'm tired. I'm worked out. And one of the things and ultimately one of the main things was I slowly began to compromise my prayer life before I go to bed. You know, I used to read the Bible. I would open the word, I'll read it, done, I'll go to sleep. But you know, I just never caught any revelation from reading. Nothing, God never spoke to me. I'm like, dry. And it hit me that God, you know what I've been missing? I used to read your word. I used to go to my chair used to get on my knees and I used to pray. I'm not being legalistic. And I realized God was dealing with me. Son, you need to fall back in love with me. And I tell you, beloved, problems didn't go away. But peace filled my heart. I looked around and I said, God, you know what? You're in control. You're in charge. You know what you're doing. The moment we did that, God started opening doors. Because God never meant for people who are called His children to live, to live life without peace. He looks down. He says, no, I'm the author of it. Why aren't you having peace in your... Why are you struggling? Why are you tormented? I'm the God who gives you peace. It breaks my heart. When you have no peace. Are you with me this morning? Secondly, I was reading a story. A group of children was lining up for lunch in the cafeteria of a church primary school. At the head of the table was a bowl of juicy apples. The supervising nun wrote a note Placed it next to the apples. Take only one. God is watching. You love kids. Just listen to this. At the end of the table was a large pile of chocolate-coated biscuits. So a child had written a note and put it next to the plate. Take as many as you want. God is watching the apples. How many know God is omniscient? He has knowledge about everything in life. What you think is a secret isn't really a secret with God. Do you think He asked Adam and Eve, Where are you, Adam? Like as though, you know, He is, Whoa, what happened? You know, God knew, God knows. And the Bible says in verses 43, Luke 19, as we look at our next thought, 
very quickly. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build on an embankment around you, surround you and close you in on every side. I think the greatest thing that hurts God is the spirit of unbelief. When we choose not to trust Him. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, faith is what is required to please God. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. And I think when we look at this passage, God who is omniscient, God who is know-it-all, it is an attribute of God where in all essence, He knows the past, He knows the present, and He knows the future. He knows it all. And when you read this passage, God is seemingly prophesying to the Jews that there is a day coming because of your action, because of your unbelief, because of your rebellion, because of your stubbornness. He sees into the future. He gives them a glimpse into it. And He says it, you know, He weeps over this. He says, I don't want that to happen to you. I don't want your salvation to be at Because they refuse to trust Him. Jerusalem at this point was sinning against God. The Jews refused to obey Him. They've become more consumed with the praises of men than the praises towards God. In John chapter 12, 43, the Bible gives us the insight about the character of the time. It says, for they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. They've lost sight that this is about God. This is about giving God the glory and the praise. Now it becomes about them. In, in Luke 19.45, notice the Bible tells us a few verses after that, Jesus goes into the temple and begins to drive out those who bought and sold in it. They've lost their priority. They've lost the purpose. They've lost the sole reason the house of God exists. They've lost sight of it. They've made it into a place of, the, of, of thieves. They were buying and selling in the house of God. What did Jesus rebuke them and say? This is a house of prayer. They've violated the purpose of God's house. And if we're not careful, Jesus wept because amidst of all the palm leaves waving, the praising, the victory chant. They were singing to God. They were giving Him victory songs and all of that. Jesus saw that all. And you know what Jesus saw? Beyond all those outward appearances. Jesus weeps or Jesus wept over hypocrisy. When you and I are not real with God. Amen. This hurts God. When we change something that was meant to be holy. And we find in this passage, they outwardly recognized Jesus. But internally, they refused to embrace Him. They say He's King. Okay. 
Is it only outwardly? Because Jesus saw their true motives, which we can't see. Notice in 1 Chronicles 28, verses 9, As for you, my son Solomon, know the God of your father and serve him with a loyal heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands all the intent of your thoughts. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. Can I say to you this morning, beloved, God knows our heart and our minds. God sees it all. God sees who we are from Monday to Sunday or Monday to Saturday. God sees every little detail about us. He knows it all because He's omniscient. He is indeed a God who knows everything. We can look on the outward and we may see, and this is what caused Jesus to weep. He looked upon the children, the Jews. He looked upon them and he says, you know, on the outside, you know, they worshipped me. On the outside, they praised me. On the outside, they had smiles on their face. On the outside, they seemed to be, you know, I seemed to be their greatest uh, 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 leader and all of that. He saw that, but he saw beyond that their true motives. You know, one night before the orchestra was to play, one of the players rushed over to the famous conductor Arturo Tosca Nani Onini and said to his instrument, said his instrument will not play E flat. So Tosca Nini held his head in his hand a moment and he said, It'll be all right. The note E flat doesn't appear in your music tonight. You see, the conductor knew what was in the content of the score sheet. And can I say, beloved, that's true with God. God knows every detail about us and sometimes He looks upon us. I remember, you know, Brother Moses, uh, um, uh, years ago, we went out uh, for a meal and we were in Paradigm Mall in Klanajaya. We're just talking about this with my wife yesterday, just reminiscing a few uh, memories of our time together. And, and, and I was telling her, you know, um, he stood from the third floor, the fourth floor, and he looked down and there was a restaurant downstairs, like a kiosk. And in that kiosk, there was, a, there was flooring that, that, that they had laid on the ground. The flooring was a work of art. It was done a certain way that... If you looked at it, it had this beautiful uh, appearance that only someone who valued art could appreciate. So I looked at Brother Moses and said, Pastor, look at this. This is so nice. Look at, look at the way the guy designed it. And I'm looking and he said, Brother, I don't see anything nice about it. It looks crooked. It doesn't look straight. <laughs> he said, no, no, but you have to see it like, and he's explaining it to me. Can I tell you when God looks at us, you know why we struggle to have compassion for people sometimes? We get upset with people, we get angry with people because the truth is you don't know their whole story. But God knows your whole story. You know why sometimes I don't, I, I choose, I tell my wife, you know, we go to a restaurant and sometimes they are so slow or sometimes they, they give you an attitude, they get angry and all of that. You know, you just don't know. Sometimes they had a bad day at home. They got abused. 
You know, young people, sometimes the way they behave, we get upset. Why are they behaving? We are so angry with them. I know. But why don't you get to sit down and talk to them and know what they went through in the past? That's why God has compassion for us. Because He knows our past, our present, and the future. He knows it all. That's why when we mess up, we do things that may seem uh, uh, un, un, uh, 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 you know, not in line with, with what we would expect it to be. God doesn't give up on us because He knows it all. He's omniscient. He sees the value in what we don't see value in. And finally, and I close with this, I believe the reason, the third thing that I caught from this passage as to why, why did Jesus weep? Why? You read verses 44, uh, uh, the Bible says, Level you and your children within you to the ground. They will not leave in you one stone upon the other because you did not know the time of your visitation. If you read the whole passage, beloved, there's only one reason that it all comes down to, that's undergirded by this very virtue, and that is the virtue of love. Jesus loved people. That's why when He looked upon them, His children, the, the people that were coming, there was a love in His heart for the people that He saw. There was a compassion that drove Jesus to tears when He looked upon these people. Not only did He look upon them as a people with the lack of peace, not only did He look at them with a, as a people who lacked belief, who were filled with unbelief, but He also looked at them as people who needed love. And can I tell you right here, beloved, this is true not only for this passage or the Jews, this is true for you and I. God looks upon us and He weeps. He wept in the past because He looks upon us and what hurts God the greatest, what grieves Him the greatest is for us to turn around and say, I don't feel loved. He is the author of love. He is the one who provides agape love, beloved. Love that is unconditional. And because of His love for you and I, that took Him to the cross. The passion was driven by His compassion. Psalms 103.13, As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear Him. Do you know when you're going through the greatest problems in life, if you want to know who sympathizes along with you, it is Jesus. He's not there to self-pity, oh poor thing. He looks down and he says, I know. It's not easy what you're going through. But he's there to help us. God's compassion is always undergirded by His unconditional love. Dr. Harold Bryson tells of two boys who went to the pastor to request his advice on what they could do to help people. Two young boys. So the pastor told them of a blind man who would love to have someone come and read the Bible to him. The man was delighted when the boys came and told him of their plan. Where do you want us to begin? The boys asked. Well, he said, since you'll be coming back each week, let's start with Matthew and read through the New Testament. So the boys begin reading, and as 
you recall, you read the first chapter of Matthew in the New Testament, and what it is, is full of begets. So and so beget, so and so beget, so and so beget, so and so beget, and the whole list of descendants. And so the boy suggested to this blind man, and he said, you know what, let's skip Matthew 1 altogether. Then the man said, no, read them all. It was not easy, but they decided to do it. When they finished reading the entire list, they noticed tears coming down the blind man's cheeks. What is so emotional about a list of names? One of the boys asked. To which the blind man said, God knew every one of those fellows and he knew them by name. Boys, that makes me feel important to know that God knows me and he knows my name. He's an omniscient God. Isaiah 54 verses 10 as we close. For the mountains shall depart and the hills be removed. But my kindness, my compassion shall not depart from you. Nor shall my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord, who has mercy on you. His unconditional love this morning towards us expresses his compassion as a father would to a child. What he saw in the Jews went beyond the external and the physical. And present in the compassion of God is his grace and mercy. Why is he so compassionate? Because he is a God of grace and mercy. But pastor, I've messed up. It doesn't matter. He's a God of grace and mercy. He is compassionate towards us. If only you knew how to measure His compassion, it will change the way we live our lives. Because so much of what we have, we don't deserve. Amen. The life, the breath, the ability to worship, the privileges. Beloved, talk to people and you will hear stories. You know, the only ones who oftentimes find it hard to process God is uh, oftentimes those. I was talking to a man just recently on, on Monday last week. It was so interesting. This man is a Hindu man, not a Christian. Okay? Not a Christian. I met him, I was talking to him, just chatting with him. We had a good conversation. And in that, he said, you know, you know, what do you do? I said, oh, I'm, I'm a pastor. He says, oh, pastor, let me tell you a story. So he went on and he began to tell me the story. He said, years ago, there was this couple who came and met with me and, and uh, um, you know, they, they were going to a church and so on and so forth. They stopped going. And uh, eventually, their marriage was on the rocks. Things were breaking up for them, not going well. So what I did was, I took them to church. Hindu guy. <laughs> took them to church. No, he says, I respect everyone. I took them to church. When I took them to church, I spoke to the pastor. I said, pastor, work with them. <laughs> and, this, and this couple got saved in that church. They went to Penang, opened a church in Penang. 
They brought this man to Penang and one day they just invited this guy to Penang and they told the whole church, the only reason we are Christians is because of the Hindu man right there. <laughs> Today, that couple have gone on. They are pastors in the US doing the will of God, preaching the gospel. You know, sometimes you just don't know how to connect God's compassion. You, you just don't know what kind of people God brings your way, who God leads to you, what you go through in life. Pastor, this is not easy. It's a struggle. But be reminded that why you are going to, it's because His compassion never fails. But this is not right. I don't feel like God is there. No, His word never lies. What you're going through is because He is compassionately trying to do a work in your life. It consists love, grace, and mercy. He loves us for not who or not what we bring Him, but because of who we are. He created us. And He sees beyond our current seasons. His compassion this morning as I close surpasses our past, our present, and our future. We may have had a bad past. We may mess up in the current. We may not seem to have a very good future. But His compassion works in us without giving up. So if anything we can come to this morning, let us thank Him for His compassion. Because we are here today. Those online, you may be watching online. We are who we are. We are where we are. We are vindicated. We are protected. We are persevered. Whether you admit it or not, whether you come to the agreement or not, because He was compassionate towards you. If not, we won't be where we are. That compassion... It's powerful. Lamentations, Pastor Tan used this passage last week. Though through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed because His compassion failed not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. You know, every day you wake up, His mercy is new. It's like, wow, another day. I, I was trying to work on a sermon. I, I don't think I'll preach on it, but maybe I may. <laughs> but you know when you go to sleep at night, that's your greatest season of healing. There's so much that goes on in your sleep that God can do, but He can't do when you're awake. Because we have our free will and we refuse Him. And sometimes God just says, you know, I'm going to bring peace on you. Because you, you're not doing anything now, so I'm going to help you rest your mind. And God gets involved in compassionate ways. We cannot even figure, we cannot even put our finger on it, beloved. But God is a God who's compassionate. God heals. God provides. God chastens. God corrects. God protects. God blesses. God listens. All because He's compassionate. And I challenge you this morning, be reminded, God's compassion isn't the absence of trouble. But it is His care, mercy, and tender kindness 
revealed to you and I in the face of trouble. I want you to bow your heads with me.